Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Saturday, October the 15th, 2022. It is currently 2.30 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas, and I have a very important question for you. In the book of Job, who instigated the suffering upon Job? Who instigated that? Who set the entire thing up? When Job suffers, who instigated it? Who controlled it? Who set it up? Was it God or was it Satan? For some weird reason, many preachers preach Job as if Satan was walking around one day. He looked over and was like, oh, look at Job. He's a really good man. He's really, he's perfect. He's upright. He's godly. I want to destroy him. I must defeat him. I must bring him down. So then Satan runs to heaven and says, hey, God, I want to attack Job. I want to destroy him. And God's like, okay, go ahead. That's not, I don't know why it's preached that way, because that's not the way the text reads. Satan was in heaven at a time when the angels came to present themselves before God, and God points Job out to Satan. Why is it preached by some that Satan was the one instigating, Satan was the one seeking? No, God set the entire thing up. Let me read from the book of Job. I'll just read from the the Bible that I have here in front of me. One day, the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord asked Satan, where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered him, and walking around on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? God brings Job to the attention of Satan. God is the one who sets it up. God is the one who instigates it. Why would preachers completely flip the meaning of the text? To fit their narrative or so that they would have a sermon to preach? Now, you may be asking, why are you asking these questions? Well, because we have been reviewing sermons preached at a youth conference in Hammond, Indiana during the summer of 2022. These sermons have been so bad, so horrible. They have they have ignored the text, misused the text, literally make the text say something it doesn't say. And it, it's just, it's been so bad, so horrible, but we've made it all the way through every sermon preached at the conference. And we're currently reviewing the very last one. And we're hoping to conclude that review today. Now, the reason we're doing this is one, the youth conference claims to be the most influential youth conference like in the world. So we want to know what's being taught at the most influential youth conference. And number two, I just wanted us to get a little insight into what young people are being taught in some churches. So that number three, we would be challenged to come up with three things that we believe youth should be taught in 2022 within inside churches. So it's been a it's been a long journey through this series. It's been maddening, frustrating, discouraging, depressing, irritating, rage-inducing. I, I don't know. I don't have all the, the words to describe it. It's been a really, really, I, I guess you can say it's been interesting, right? It, it's been maddening, but it's been interesting. 
and we're going to try to finish this. Now, so we're reviewing a sermon. The text is Job chapter 1. The preacher is approaching it like Satan. Satan instigated this. Satan is the one who wants to, Satan is like, I'm going to destroy good people. I'm going to destroy people who are doing great. And Job is the one I want to destroy. Now, it it, it is acknowledged that God gives him permission, but it's being preached as if Satan is the one who instigated it, not God, which is a complete misreading of the book of Job. Also, he is using the story when all when when Satan is given the ability to start bringing suffering into the life of Job, he's using this verse, uh, verse nineteen, Job one nineteen. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people so that they died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He's taken that literal wind with a literal collapse of a house, and he's turned the wind into a figurative wind, a wind of satanic influence that is sweeping across the nation designed to destroy young people. That's not what the text is about. The four corners doesn't represent the four corners of a literal house, but the four pillars of like society and Satan is trying to destroy it. Um, every, everything here is like he's, he is obliterating the text, the meaning of the text, the purpose of the text, he's obliterating it. And not only that, he's completely ignoring the difficulty of the text, which is, wait, God set this up. So if you take it to the way he's trying to preach Job, then it would be God is the one bringing the satanic wind, trying to destroy everyone, because in the book of Job, it is God who instigates all of this. And he's not even deal- He's not even realizing in a roundabout way how he's so misusing the text. So that's where we are. Not only that, he seems to indicate that, I guess, that we don't have a depraved nature. And what our problem is, is when the world gets into us, right? And the world gets into us via the internet. The world gets into us via music, which of course completely ignores the reality of human depravity. Before there was an internet, before there was rock and roll, before there was rap, before there was evil video games, while Cain was killing his brother, the world had gotten so bad that God had to flood it and Sodom and Gomorrah was happening and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Before all of these other things existed, The problem isn't the internet, music, the world, Hollywood, Disney, or whatever else you're going to point to, and that you've got to build walls to try to keep it out. The problem is inside your house. It's called human depravity, and it's inside your children, and it's inside you. So it's it's definitely coming from a Pelagian perspective. It's been a just... We've got about another hour to go in our review. The first 23 minutes was just, it started with a crazy story about a cow in the middle of the road that I guess Satan put there. Uh, It's it's been, it's been crazy, but we've got 50, well, 54 minutes, not quite an hour left. And we're going to jump right back in. Now, remember when we, we have, when we have to break the reviews into uh, like two parts, it's always frustrating because when we come back for the second part, there's no smooth transition back into it. We just, I use, I, I know you know what I'm going to say. We walk to the edge of the pool and just jump in. So we're at the edge of the pool. We're going to jump in. We're going to return back to Hammond, Indiana, summer of 2022, where a youth conference was going on that they claim is the most influential youth conference in the world. Well, we're going to conclude our review of these sermons so that we can understand what is being taught to youth. And maybe we could come up with a better plan and what youth actually need in 2022. Are you ready? Here we go. 
It's been a wild ride. I hope you're ready. Buckle up. May need something to drink. I don't drink alcohol. I mean, you almost may, you may need it to make it through this. Just a deep breath. I hope you're ready. If you have high blood pressure, take your medication now. I don't know where this is going. I'm hoping. I am hoping. I, I now, in the last episode, you heard me be probably very, 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 very ne- negative because the previous sermon we reviewed from this youth conference really just messed me up. I was I was ready to quit. I was in total. I, I mean, I was finished. I, I was like, I didn't even want to be a part of any ministry or even, I mean, I was done with everything associated with Christianity is how bad it was. So I was very negative in the last one. I'm going to start this one with hope. I'm going to start with this one, a little bit of optimism. I'm going to try to set aside my cynicism and think that he's going to turn this around and this is going to end as one of the best sermons of the entire youth conference. And it's going to be awesome. And the gospel is going to be presented and yeah, but considering he's completely misusing the book of Job, that probably I'm probably being foolish to try to be optimistic, but I, I don't want to be so negative if I can. I, I want to be positive. So here we go. Remember, if you're brand new, I don't review these in advance. I like the review to be in real time. So it's very organic. It doesn't come across as rehearsed and that we're basically sitting now listening to the sermon together in real time. If you're using the Spreaker app, feel free to jump into the chat. And if you're not currently listening live, You can always email me, or if you're listening live and you're not listening via the Spreaker app, you can always email me at newsif at yahoo.com. All right, are you ready? Here we go. Satan's not playing games. He's looking, teenager, to collapse your life. He's looking to collapse your future. He's looking to collapse your family. He's looking to collapse your friends. He's looking to collapse your youth group. He's looking to collapse your church. He's not playing games. Please note, he's taking the story, turning it into an allegory. Now, Satan's out there wanting to collapse your house, your family, your youth group. But again, he's ignoring the way the story is written. It is God who set this all up. God set this up. I don't know why he's flipped the entire meaning of the book of Job. I don't know why. I know why. And I say this all the time. In many churches, they people want sermons. They don't want to actually study the text. They want sermons. They want them nice, neat, three points, get out soon, and and let's not deal with the difficulties, the complications, the fresh... No, 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 no. Let's make it simple. And so sometimes pastors produce sermons. They don't actually produce the study of the text. Because I think, and if you really study the text, it doesn't always amount to a nice, easy, structured, three-point outline. No, I don't know. Who came up with that? That's the way you have to preach. No, we're going to deal with the text. We're going to dig in. And and who cares if it is organized properly? It, it I, I can't stand that. The key is, does people actually dig into the text? Well, he's not trying to do that. He's He's got this picture that he wants to paint, this Satan. He sees good people. He sees good kids from a good home. And he sees a good church and Satan runs around to try to knock it down with a satanic wind. Completely has nothing to do with the book of Job, but that's okay. Let's continue. 
Somebody once said, senior sem this year, one of the young people submitted a question, and uh, we had a question uh, answer time, and somebody submitted a question. They said, Brother Judah, do you think that if Satan were to repent, and if Satan were to, you know, ask for forgiveness, do you think that God would save Satan? Do you think that's what? It was just a rhetorical, just a, a hypothetical question. First of all, we know the answer. That can never happen, because the word of God already tells us Satan's end. One of these days, he will be changed. One of these days, he will be thrown into the lake of fire forever. But hypothetically speaking, let me give you the hypothetical answer. No. Let me tell you why. Because Satan will never repent. Because Satan, Satan will never ask for forgiveness. You realize, teenager, we're talking about Satan tonight. We talked about Satan this afternoon. He is the very root of bitterness. He is the very essence of evil. He hates God. And because he hates God, he hates you. I've often said that one of these days he'll be thrown into hell for a thousand years, burning, screaming, in torture for a thousand years. And you would think... After that thousand years, man, he would run to Jesus. He would get on his knees. You would think that he would say, I'm sorry, please don't send me back. But you know and I know that is not what happens. The second his feet hit the ground again, the second the flames are off of his body, he gathers the armies of the world in one last ditch effort to defeat God. He hates God. And he hates you. And he doesn't play fair. I want you to see some things. Verse number 19, first of all, I want you to see that this whirlwind was designed for you. It was sent on purpose. Now, now see, now here we're going to go to Job 119. And now he's just going to forget Job, forget context, forget that God set this entire thing up. And now he's going to make it about you. The go-to way of preaching, ignore the text. Ignore who it's actually about and insert ourselves. Christians love to insert themselves in a text that isn't necessarily even about themselves. We, we are so narcissistic to think right here, Job 119, forget Job, forget that his children died. This is about us. This is about our time. It's about our generation. This is about Satan trying to destroy us. Again, if you're going to preach it this way, God is the one who set it up. So, God is the one who set it up. God is the one who allowed it to happen. God is the one orchestrating it. But you're going to leave that out of the entire story, of course, because it doesn't fit your sermon. You want to preach a sermon. You don't want to preach the text. Purpose with one goal in mind, and that was to destroy the young people in Job's life. Teenager, our enemy has a target on your back. He is going after you. He is going after your life. He is going after your little brothers and sisters. He's going after your testimony. You have not snuck by. You have not blended in. He knows who you are. He's got a target on your back. He knows that if he could collapse your life, it would discourage so many others thinking of teens right now see he's preaching this whole thing like satan was walking around trying to find someone to destroy well the text here is satan came to heaven when the rest of the sons of god the angels presented themselves before god and then god and god points out job god 
I, I don't know how you can just ignore what the story is actually about. I know I've said that now 150,000 times. I may, I may need to say it another 150,000 times to ensure that everyone understands that what we're hearing here is the total twisting and flipping the entire narrative of, of a book of God's word to something other than what it actually says. All done from a pulpit. And hey, it's okay though. It's, it's perfectly okay because nobody cares about if the text is being preached truthfully or not. All we care is we get our nice little sermons. I've been a youth pastor for 19 years, thinking of teens right now, and I could tell the stories, I could tell the stories all night long of young people who got caught up in this whirlwind. Their life was collapsed. I won't call her name, Minda, you know. Years ago, I had a young lady in the youth group. She could sing beautifully. She had a beautiful voice. God had gifted her the beautiful voice. Sang in our choir every Sunday. Went off to Bible college. Came to youth conference every year. Went off to Bible college. And we started to hear, boy, she's not doing well. But word started coming back. She's hanging out with the wrong people. Her, her parents started saying, Brother Judah, would you pray for her, Brother Judah? Would you call her, Brother Judah? Would you? And I tried. I tried to do what I could, but, you know, she's just ghosted. I'm, she was just gone. Soon I heard that she left Bible college and was back in our home area, but she wasn't in church. And I sat there and I watched every Sunday night, every Sunday night as her mom and dad, before the invitation would even start, they would come to the altar, they would weep together, they would, they would stay, they would pray, and they never said it out loud, but everybody in the church knew what they were praying about. And I started to hear she got a tattoo, I started to hear she's running wild. One day she knocked on my door in the office. I opened up the door and she came into the office, several months pregnant, standing there, tears in her eyes, Brother Joe. She didn't have to say anything. I knew the whole story. By the way, the guy, he was gone. He was gone. Just gone. And that's the way it is. Hey, ladies, that's the way it is. He'll, he'll, he'll use you and he'll take off. And that's what happened to her. Of all the things she could have said, she looked at me with tears in her eyes and she said, Brother Judah, do you think I could ever sing in the choir again? I stood up and I ran to her and I said, absolutely. I said, listen, you come back to church and you can, I'll call the choir director. And we, she got back in church and baby was born. We would have choir practice on Wednesday night, and back then I was in the choir. <laughs> they were hard up, but I was in the choir, and we'd have choir practice on Wednesday night, and her son and some of my kids, they would just run through the church. They would just terrorize the church. They would just, on Wednesday night. One Wednesday night, she came up to me, and she said, Brother Judah? So after choir practice, the kids were running around. She said, Brother Judah, and she called her son's name out. She said, Brother Judah, if you'll be his youth pastor... She said, I'll make him listen. I'll make him listen. She said, I should have listened. I should have. I'll make him listen. Listen, there's a young lady, and I'm glad some things have been put back together, and I'm glad for the grace and mercy of God. But if she were here tonight, she would tell you, man, this whirlwind, this satanic attack, it is everywhere. And if you're not careful, it is designed to collapse the house. The young 
they always create this atmosphere of fear that it's out to get you. It's out there. It's out there. It's out there. And you, you're going to make them listen? I thought we believed in libertarian free will. How are you going to make them listen? I mean, are you saying her parents didn't make her listen and that was the problem? The Christians, they, they, we can't diagnose the problem. We always think the, wor- the problem is external or the problem is parents didn't make someone listen or the problem. No, the problem is we have a sinful nature inside of us. It's inside of us. The issue is inside of us. I, I, I'm so tired of saying that whenever you hear preaching, it's like total depravity, human depravity, sinful nature, sinful nature, sinful nature. The call is coming from inside the house, borrowing or from an old horror movie. Okay. Coming. It's inside of us. But, but Christians love to point, it's out there, it's out there, it's out there, it's out there, it's out there. And all I got to do, if I make my kid listen, that'll fix it. If I keep my kid from A, B, C, D, E, again, all of those things you're trying to keep your kids from, go back to Genesis. Those things didn't exist. Look what was happening. You had rape, you had incest, you had drunkenness, you had murder. You, I mean, you had homosexuality, you had, you had everything before any of those things of the world that you think is going to be the problem. The problem is inside each and every one of us. People, this whirlwind is designed for you, designed for you. It is destructive. It is targeted. I want you to look at verse number 19, not only the whirlwind, but I want you to see where it comes from. Do you see it? Where does it come from? It says there came a great wind from the, where does it come from? Yeah, the wilderness. Got thinking about that word. This is basically allegoric. He's turning the entire verse into an allegory. He, he's, oh man. I, I sometimes am just baffled with what people do with the word of God. I really, it's like the word of God is Plato. And preachers just do whatever they want with it, whatever they want with it. And it's absolutely baffling to me sometimes. All right, let, let's continue. Word wilderness, and I thought, you know, the wilderness is a far off place. The, the, the wilderness, I'm talking about satanic attack. Stay with me. The message will make sense in a moment. I'm talking about satanic attack that, is, that has your name on it, your name on it, and it's coming and if it has your name on it, if you're using the book of Job, God is the one who said your name. God is the one who pointed you out. God is the one who set the whole thing up. God is the one controlling it. God is the one orchestrating it. So don't put it on Satan. Put it on God. But oh, oh no, no, that doesn't fit the narrative. That doesn't fit the narrative. I understand because you're not interested in the actual story of Job. You're interested in ripping a verse so far out of its complete context and turning it into an allegory as if scripture and context doesn't actually matter, right? Okay, <laughs> the message will make sense in a moment. Okay, well, that's good. That, okay, you're right, you're right, you're right, right. Okay, we don't understand it yet. The message is gonna make sense in a moment. Okay, good, you're right, you're right, okay. Okay, deep breath. We're 30 minutes into it. It's going to make sense in a moment. Okay, let, let's wait for, the, for it to make sense. All right, here we go. 
from the wilderness. It is coming from a far off place. This represents all the foreign influences that Satan throws at us. Things entering our life and mind that are totally contrary to the type of things we would hear at a youth conference. Totally contrary to things in the word of God. Totally contrary to the way that we were raised by our mom and our dad. And things we were taught in Sunday school and the the good Christian music that we hear uh, as we grow up. I'm talking about wilderness attack. Things coming from left field. uh, Things entering our lives that are contrary to everything we were taught as a child, philosophies, celebrities that are totally anti-Bible, anti-church, this foreign attack that comes from a far off place, not agreeable with what your church would teach. It was just a wind (laughs) that came from the desert or wilderness. It was an actual physical wind. That's what it was, that, that knocked down an actual physical house. This wasn't a satanic wind coming from Hollywood or coming from Apple Music or coming from Spotify or coming from TikTok. This was a physical wind. How are you making us say things that it's not, I don't understand agreeable with what the word of God says, not agreeable with what the preacher preaches every single Sunday. These celebrities that influence our actions, this philosophy that influences our minds and thoughts. I'm telling you, teenager, there's a great wind from the wilderness and it is coming at us. Let me, you know what? A picture speaks a thousand words, doesn't it? Well, let me explain this. That great wind that's coming with thoughts contrary to the word of God and desires contrary to the word of God and feelings contrary to the word of God. You know where that wind is coming from? Inside of you, it's called sinful nature, depravity. It's inside us, even as a believer. It is from within the heart. All of this corruption comes from. The sin is inside of us. Christians seem... Uh, look, we we say we believe in, in in sinful nature and depravity, and then in our preaching, we 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 diagnose the problem as always being external to us. And I don't use a lot of media when I preach. We're talking about we're talking about things that enter our lives totally contrary to how we were raised. Totally contrary to the word wilderness things. Go ahead and throw the first picture up there. Hey teenager, that's from the wilderness. Listen to me, young people. Now let me tell you something. I don't know what the picture is, but it's supposedly from the wilderness and it's supposedly really bad. It's supposedly really bad. I wish, I I hope he explains what it is. I hope he explains what it is. The tides, they changed several years ago. I mean, you used to preach on this stuff. Everybody understood it. Everybody agreed. But I started sensing some tension years ago when we would start just preaching, thus saith the Lord, tiptoe on this subject a little bit, preach the whole counsel of God, say things like it's unnatural, it's an abomination. Understand, teenager, God doesn't hate people. We shouldn't hate people. Not at all. They need the Lord. It's not the people. It's the practice. The practice. The Bible says that the practice is sin. The Bible says that it's a sin against the body. The Bible says that it is unnatural. The Bible says... 
I guess it has something to do with homosexuality. Of course, start with homosexuality. I don't know. Don't start with heterosexuality, right? I mean, I'm assuming most of the kids in the church are probably struggling with heterosexual desires, not homosexual desires. But I mean, what do I know? What do I know? I mean, I don't know much of anything, but I just know if you take the entire number of a youth group, oh, there may be some struggling with same-sex attraction, but I bet you the most of those in your youth group are struggling with opposite sex attraction. But let's start with homosexuality because, all right, why? Because that's a, that's a cultural issue. That's a political issue. Okay, all right, I digress. Let's continue. And put the picture back up there, please. But watch this. Hey, it's everywhere, isn't it? Huh? Four corners of the house. Everywhere you look, everywhere you turn, everywhere you go. I mean, they have a month and they have all kinds. You can hardly even see a commercial on TV now. Oh, no, they have a month. They have a month. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And heterosexuality, they have a year. <laughs> okay. Heterosexuality has more than a month. It has an entire year, right? Heterosexuality is every, is, isn't it every, isn't heterosexuality everywhere? Isn't it opposite sex attraction everywhere? Right? I mean, is it, I mean, if you're going to, because don't you have to deal with fornication and lust and, and, uh, and pornography? Okay. But all right. Okay, I get it, but it's just weird that we're going to start with homosexuality. You'd think you would start with the thing that would probably be most relevant to the kids. Now, of course, this has nothing to do with the book of Job. Nothing. Literally nothing he is saying has anything to do with the text. Once again, the text is just being abused and set aside. But if you're going to go this direction, right, like why even use the book of Job? Why even use the book of Job? Just do this. Tonight, I'm going to talk to you about things that are attacking the young people of this generation and not even use scripture. Why Why wouldn't you do that? And you could start, number one, homosexuality. Now, I don't know why you would start with homosexuality, because again, I think most teenagers in the church are struggling with heterosexuality. I'm not saying there aren't any, but I think you want to start with the majority first, right? I mean, is it, I mean, I mean, come on, but okay, okay, all right, we're going to start with homosexuality. All right, all right, let's see what he has to say. And there's young people who entertain preaching like this. It it can be called hateful. It can be characterized as, you know, and let me just stop and say, and I'm just going to say it. I was nervous when I started. I'm getting over it right now. We challenge the teenagers to boldly go, boldly go, boldly go. Hey, preacher. Hey, youth pastor. Hey, pastor. Let's boldly preach, boldly preach, boldly preach. Come on now. What are we doing, man? This stuff is swirling around our, our, our house and it will collapse. Just please note, again, homosexuality existed before Gay Pride Month, okay? It existed before the Gay uh, gay Pride flag. It existed before disco. That's a little musical joke, okay? But it, 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 it existed before any of the things that we associated with it. It was all the way back in Genesis, because where does homosexuality arise from? Human depravity. It's amazing how we always want to go after the symptom instead of the ultimate cause. But I digress. And teenager, you understand something. Understand something. It's straight from the wilderness. Straight from the wilderness. Anti-God. It's from inside of you. 
You say, well, that, does that mean everyone's going to struggle with homosexuality? No, it means everyone's going to struggle with sin and everyone's going to sin because everyone is a sinner. It may sh- manifest in same-sex attraction. It may manifest in opposite-sex lust. It may manifest manifest itself in greed and hatred hatred and bitterness and revenge and gossip and slander. It, it's going to manifest itself in some way. We sin. We're, we are sinners. We sin. We sin all the time. Period. End of story. So what's our hope? It's the imputed righteousness of Christ. Now, am I saying, do we not deal with the issue? No, we deal with issues, but we got to start with where the problem arises from. Anti-Bible, man, they need the Lord. They need a soul winner. They need a track. They need a church. But the practice of what you see on this screen is anti-God, anti-Bible, and it's everywhere, everywhere. Put the next picture up there. Worldly philosophy, subtle philosophy that that just creeps in. Sometimes you have to stop thinking so much and just go where your heart takes you. Young people start walking down the wrong road, Brother Thompson, and they start dating somebody they shouldn't date, and they start making obvious choices that are wrong, and and people come to them, and and they say, man, uh, you're going the wrong way. They try to pray with them, try to counsel them, and in the back of the mind of the young people, they say, this is right. This feels right. I think I just have to stop thinking and go where my heart takes me. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Your heart will condemn you, teenager. That's good. Now, I'm I'm glad you're back to the problem with the heart. The heart is deceitful. Yeah, the heart is wicked. Exactly. So the problem is the heart. And if you heard that sound, I was uh, adjusting my pop filter because it had fallen down a little bit. And you'll get that that, that kind of a sound if I use uh, anything with a P. Okay, but so, but I got it, uh, I got it fixed. So, I'm glad he's acknowledging the heart issue, but he's kind of, he's acknowledging it, but he's ignored it in everything that he has said. Okay, so worldly philosophy, right? Yeah, well, there is worldly philosophy out there. Typically, the worldly philosophy uh, that's out there doesn't even compare with the worldly philosophy we come up with inside of us. But hey, I mean, I mean, the human heart is wicked, right? So, okay, but all right. The Bible says that God is greater than your heart when your heart condemns you. This isn't about how I feel, what I think is right. This is about the word of God. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. But we have bought in. We've bought into this stuff. Go to the next one. Sometimes following your heart means losing your mind. Go to the next one. Obvious club scene craziness, all kinds of weird lights and whatever, hands raised. Listen, look, this is <laughs> a weird club scene. Weird lights and hands raised. I know. Weird. It's just weird being in a dance club. It is just weird. It is so weird. <laughs> what? What? Okay. All right. I Sometimes the thing, it's just, okay. I, I just, I just, I, let's just see where he goes with this. This is an obvious club scene. I'm sure that it is, but it could be the next contemporary church that pops up in town. Could be pretty close to it. 
Could be the next church that you can't wait to get out of your youth group. You can't wait to graduate. Can't wait to get out from underneath all the rules so that you can go someplace and be free. Listen, teenager, I'm just saying, if you're buying this, that is straight from the wilderness. And there is a strange wind blowing in our day and age where Christian teenagers are getting sucked into this kind of thing. And I'm telling you, you think you're smart. You think you're free. You think you have liberty. And Satan sits back and he says, man, I've thrown this thing. But it's got their name on it. It's got, they are targeted. Go to the next one. I don't even know what it is. Oh, here we go. Talking about worldly philosophies. One would go mad if one took the Bible seriously, but to take it seriously, one must be already mad. I received a text message today. 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 Pray for this person. You read the body of the text. And it's a snapshot of a conversation. I don't even know who the people are, but it's a snapshot of a conversation where one teenager is talking, and they're talking atheistic things. I don't know if God is real. I don't know if the Bible can be trusted. Um, If you you want someone to pray for someone, just say pray for someone. Don't share private text messages. All right? Don't share private messages. All right? Respect people's privacy. Now, if they're going to harm themselves, don't share private text messages. I think that's that's a, just a pretty good thing. If someone has texted you in confidence or they've expressed, just don't don't share that. Okay, don't share that. Just say, hey, can you pray for someone? Can you pray for someone? All right, or, or at least, I mean, just just be careful when sharing people's private correspondence. Just be careful when doing that. Okay. I don't know. And by the way, Brother Joe starts preaching on the King James Bible. People start freaking out, putting it online. Hey, it's from the wilderness, that kind of attitude. I mean, that is straight from the wilderness. And and it used to be that only the most avowed atheist, uh, nobody in a church would think like this, but now all over this room. Because of the influence of social media, because of these algorithms that Brother Brown freaked me out over this afternoon, because of all of this stuff, it's in our head, isn't it? It's in our head. Straight from the wilderness. So what do you so you're you're basically saying nobody should be on social media. You've you've basically have argued nobody should have the internet, no one should be on social media, but you clearly demonstrated that you either you have the internet or a data plan of some sort. So and if you know that all this stuff is showing up on the internet, then you have the internet. So, I mean, who can have the internet? Only the pastors? Like, I don't understand how this, how the, like, they, they haven't offered any real solution other than stay away from everything. Stay away from everything. Stay away from everything. Stay away from everything. Everything is demonic. Everything is demonic. Stay away from everything. Don't see no evil. Don't hear no evil. Don't speak no evil. But, of course, it can constantly ignores the fact the evil is inside of us via sinful nature. I don't know why they, okay, let's just continue. This celebrity philosophy, go to the next picture. Here we go. I know, I know Christian teenagers and it is their goal in life. You listening to me, their goal in life to work for him. Elon Musk needs the Lord. And I, and I, and listen, he's an entrepreneur. I think that's great. He's got Elon Musk is now Elon Musk is a, a satanic wind. Elon Musk is when did he become the bad guy? 
So, so we've learned in this conversation that Selena Gomez, uh, Celine Dion, I, I can't remember who all else, everyone is demonically possessed. And now Elon Musk is a satanic wind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, you're right. He's teaching them to be afraid of literally everything. You're right. He's literally te- to be afraid of everything. Just be afraid of everything is out to get you. But Well, I'm sorry. I will correct your statement. He is telling them to be afraid of literally everything outside of yourself. Don't be afraid of the depraved nature inside of yourself. Everything but yourself. So this is where you run, you lock yourself in. You you lock the doors, you put the you put the furniture up against the door, you barricade the door, you barricade the windows, you're like, I'm safe, I'm safe. The killer can't get me. And then you find out that the killer is well inside the room with you because it's inside of you. It's called your depraved nature. But all right, let's find out what's so bad about Elon Musk now. Some political views that, that I'm sure a handful of them I would agree with, but I want you to see what's going on right there. I mean, he's sitting there getting high. He's got no shame. As far as I know, he's an agnostic. As far as I know, he's got multiple children out of wedlock and all different ladies. And, and here, and there are Christian teenagers who sit in this room and say, man, my goal, my, my goal in life is to own a Tesla. My goal in life is to work for Elon Musk. And watch this. The mo- if you own a Tesla? So you can only own property created by Christians? Wait, I'm using a Dell computer. I'm using a microphone. I don't know if any of these things were created by Christians. I don't know if this table, was this created by Christians? I'm drinking Dasani. Was that created by, like, so if your goal is to own a Tesla, you're bad. Is it because of the goal? Is it because of Elon Musk? He's making it sound like it's not the goal that's wrong. It's the fact that you want to own something from Elon Musk, who's clearly not a Christian. But you're, hey, you're, you're, you post your sermons on the internet. You, you post your sermons on, on well, on social, on po- uh, uh, podcast apps. I don't think any of that's those created by Christians. So... Doesn't Elon Musk with his, what, uh, is it Skylink or Starlink, uh, his satellites that provide internet to uh, places that don't have it? So if if someone is using his internet uh, satellites to access the internet to listen to your sermon, should they not do that because they're using something created by Elon Musk? I'm, I'm, I'm just confused on how all of this works. So don't, don't, you don't want to own a Tesla. You don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to own a Tesla. You don't want to own a Tesla. And... Okay. And I'm just going to say this. The moment somebody starts maybe giving an ovation for the preacher or something like that, all we start to hear is, oh, man worship, man worship. You ought not worship man, but we can, we can follow him. You, you do realize the difference. If you are applauding someone in the world, that's very different than applauding someone who's preaching the word of God. But okay, I, I, I mean... I don't know. I don't. I don't know. As a preacher, I wouldn't. Would you want someone? I don't know. I think there's somewhat of a distinction there. But okay, okay. So I guess he's mad because young people worship Elon Musk. That's interesting. I didn't know this was a major problem in youth groups. I really didn't know this. I, 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 
I'm going to, tomorrow, I'm going to ask if the teenagers are at the church, I'm going to go around asking uh, any teenagers in my church if they know who Elon Musk is and do they they have a problem with man worship of him. I didn't know this was a major issue. Elon, of all the people you could put up there, Elon Musk is the person he picks. It seems just a bizarre choice. And, And if you're listening, tomorrow, walk around and ask the teenagers at your church, Elon Musk, come on, tell me, what do you think? Oh, man, I want to be like Elon Musk, and man, I want to own a Tesla, and oh, man, I worship him. I I don't think that's going to be a problem. I could probably think of some other celebrities that may have a greater influence upon the minds of young people, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Elon Musk is a cult hero. Uh, I I don't know. It's just a weird, where is, what does this have to do with the book of Job? There's nobody around here worshiping man, by the way. But you know and I know, maybe not for all of you, but for some of you, you know and I know, you know everything about this guy. You haven't written written your preacher a thank you letter or your parents a note of gratitude. (laughs) I think we're going, we gave the preacher something on his birthday, I think we're going a little too far there, we don't want to worship man, elevate man. Are you crazy? Hey man, from the wilderness. I'm not... I'm trying to follow this. Am I? So, it, it, okay. I, I don't know. From the wilderness. Go to the next one, please. Is man merely a mistake of God's or God merely a mistake of man? Go to the next one, please. We see that. Now, now listen. I know a lot of people, and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this carefully and sincerely. I know a lot of good Christian people. And I mean it, good Christian people. Have a tattoo. Minda, one of my best friends, got saved. Is tattoos an issue? <laughs> Man alive, of all the things young people are struggling with, I don't think it's Elon Musk and... Uh, and uh, he, so all the things young people are, are struggling with in the church is homosexuality, Worldly philosophy, he didn't really, has not really articulated exactly. Uh, he's kind of gone through those slides quickly. So homosexuality, Elon Musk, and tattoos. I wonder if those are the big three. If you were to ask Christian young people, what are you struggling with? Homosexuality, Elon Musk, and tattoos. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, let's, let's get the tattoo speech now. Later in life, he's got a sleeve of tattoos. I've got his picture in my office uh, on, my, on, my, on my bookshelf there. We're, we're, we're together, man. He's a, he's a good man. He's a great man. He got saved later in life. He has a sleeve of tattoos. He's ashamed of it. Frankly, he's embarrassed that the world has permanently marked him. That's not the issue. The issue is 6th uh, grade, 7th grade, 8th grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade. Well, what's wrong with that? How come we can't get that? I saw a YouTube video of a preacher saying it was okay. And how come? Listen to me. Fr- that is from the wilderness. From the wilderness. Tattoos are from the wilderness. The wilderness in Job, which was an actual wilderness, but it's from the metaphorical wilderness. Now, okay, okay, all right, man. The, the, 
world of Christianity, sometimes I just I feel like I am an outsider, not knowing what in the world is going on. Wilderness. And there's some tension in the room right now, but hey, we've got to deal with this. You need to understand that the devil is not playing games with your life, teenager. You need to understand. The devil is not playing games with your life, teenagers, because he wants you to get a tattoo. Because if you get a tattoo, you'll be permanently destroyed. If you get a tattoo, you'll be permanently marked. If you get a tattoo, you'll be ensuring a place in hell. Because if you get a tattoo, it's right there in scripture. Now there are this scripture about marking of skin, but I think it's clearly within a religious idolatry context. Okay, clearly, but like I, I, Satan, I can't, I can't, I would hope Satan has got a better strategy than if we can get all the teenagers to want tattoos, we got them, we got them, they're all done. We can get tattoos on all the Christian teenagers. We've wiped out Christianity. We destroyed everything. I'm not going to go after the gospel. I'm not going to go after the scripture and hermeneutics and the, no, 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 no. We're tattoos, tattoos. That's a big one. That's, that's in my top three, homosexuality, Elon Musk and tattoos. That's the way to bring down Christianity. Understand that he knows who you are and he has infiltrated the four corners of the house with every allowable way that he can get in. He doesn't infiltrate the house via your sinful nature, because of your sinful nature, because you are a sinner. He's in that sense inside of your house. He's already there because you have a depraved nature. To indoctrinate you with worldly philosophy and celebrity. Go to the next one. Oh, here we go. Money is everything. Money is life. It is everything. The CEO wrote it. And watch this. Used to be back in the day, Christian people didn't think this way. Used to be back in the day, a Christian teenager, they they wouldn't even entertain that thought. It's not about money. It's about souls. It's not about money. It's about being faithful. We would never look at a missionary and say, man, they've wasted their life. They don't have nice clothes. They don't have nice food. They don't have a nice car. We would never have entertained a thought like that. But sitting in this room, we are worshiping the God of the almighty dollar. We have sold out. We have sold out. Where the Bible says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, not on earth, where rust and moth doth corrupt. We have Bought in. We're in it to get rich, man. We've got a plan B. We've got to get a degree. We've got to get all of this stuff so that we can accumulate all of this stuff because money, while we would never say it with our mouth, in our heart we believe that money is everything. Money is life. It is everything. My dad offered me $5 million to work with him for five years, and I'm not saying I'm a super Christian, but in my heart I knew, man, I'm called to preach. This is what I was born to do, made to do. Five years would become 10, become 15 become 20. I wasn't trying to stack up a lot of money and then maybe go serve God. That's not the way that it works. But in today's Why wouldn't you have worked for five years, got the $5 million, and then you could supported missionaries, built churches, started a Bible college. And while you were working with him for five years to get the $5 million, you could have still been working in a church, still been preaching, still been doing podcasting. I mean, I, I, I was bivocational. You could have been bivocational. Five years, $5 million. And then when you're done, you could have supported ministries all around the world. 
because you could have just then given all that $5 million away since you didn't want it in the first place. But okay, I, I don't know. It just That's the kind of stuff that reminds me when I was in an independent fundamental Baptist church in Nebraska, and here was men who were in the military, you know, had a good job, medical benefits, retirement benefits, all of these wonderful benefits. And they were basically told, if you really feel called to the ministry, if you really feel you need to get out of the military so that you can show that you trust God. And then these men got out of the military, gave up all of those benefits. And then some of them had two, three jobs trying to make enough money to support their family. I don't think, I think only maybe one made it to the mission field. I don't think any of the ones I went to the Bible Institute made it into ministry. And I was viewed as like, you know, I didn't trust God. And I was because I was like, I'm not getting out of the military. I've got a family to take care of. I mean, I've already got a job. I've got benefits. Why would I throw that away? Well, you didn't really trust God. Maybe I didn't really trust God, but it just seems like I'm going to trust God to give me a job when I already have a job. (laughs) I already have benefits, but they got out to prove something. They gave up something to prove something. And well, it, it, I don't think it really, I don't think, I think only maybe me got into the ministry and I didn't get out. So of all of those, I think only one maybe made it to the mission field. And I don't know if they even stayed on the mission field. So, I mean, so what did that prove? All it's proving is you get to brag that you gave up $5 million. Hey, I'm not saying that I'm spiritual, but I want you to know I gave up $5 million for the ministry. I gave up $5 million for the ministry. Instead of saying, I got the $5 million and I, I've been using it to, to further ministry around the world. I, I, it's just an odd place to throw in the story. Again, none of this has anything to do with the book of Job, where his text is supposedly in the book of Job. But okay. Society in your generation, this wind from the wilderness. And it's everywhere, isn't it? You may be right that this is turning into what can you sacrifice for God game? You know, what can you sacrifice for God? What can you sacrifice for God? Now, I do believe the Bible calls me to deny self, die to self. It does. But it's really turning into, I guess, the more I supposedly give up, the better I am. I don't don't know. I don't don't really understand any of this at all. I'm going to open up uh, the uh, Spreaker app really quick just in case I don't miss anyone else's comments. All right, here we go. We'll find the live broadcast, open it up, hit the chat. All right, so I don't want to miss anything. All right, let's, uh, we're at 53 minutes. We've got to finish this thing. We This may go long, so I, I apologize, but I, I can't do this. Uh, I don't want to do another part on this. I really don't. I want to bring this to some kind of conclusion. I don't know how, I don't, it's hard to believe he can continue 35 minutes with the, what he's doing. He's not providing anything. He's definitely not preaching the text, but uh, let's see where he goes. Our addiction to materialism. You you talk about apprehension. One of the biggest apprehensions that keep young people from selling out to God. I don't know how much money I'm going to make. That's it. Hey, parents, I love you, but you know it's true. One of your biggest apprehensions and fears is, man, will my grandchildren, will my ch- will they go off across an ocean somewhere? And all of us got to wrestle with that, and all of us have to surrender to that. But parents, listen to me. Money is not everything. It is not life. It is not everything. That's from the wilderness. It's from the wilderness. The wilderness is a far-off place. I mean, it's time that we understand that Satan is using these things 
All of these things, you say, well, you didn't, listen, all of these things from the, from the gay agenda to the, to the club lifestyle to the materialism to the celebrities that we literally worship, all of these things, Satan is using these things to collapse the house. You can take it off the screen. I want to say something else about the wilderness. Not only is the wilderness a far off place, but I want you to think about this. The wilderness is a forsaken place. Biblical wilderness, teenager, and this is very important. It is. It's just absolutely amazing how he's just uh, turning the book of Job into a complete allegory. It's just insanity. And again, he's, he's, the wilderness is a far away, see, far away from me, and it's a forsaken. He's yet to deal with the depravity inside of me, which is where everything begins. I don't understand th- th- this. I... All right, I, 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 34 minutes of this. I, oh, man, okay. All right, all right, I got to get my second wind, all right? It's like when you're running and you, and you feel like you just got to stop. You got to stop. But if you can just, you can get that second wind, you can keep going a little bit longer. Okay. I got to get my second wind here. We got to finish strong. We got to finish strong. All right. Something good's got to be found in this sermon. Something good. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Now, some of the th- issues he's brought up, I am not denying there aren't issues. You could talk about celebrity worship. You could talk about materialism. You could talk about homosexuality. Those are issues that are relevant. I don't know how relevant those are to the lives of most Christian teenagers that they struggle with those things the most. I don't, but all right. And again, he, he basically went from homosexuality to Elon Musk. He didn't really say celebrity, but Elon Musk, he, he kind of, there kind of cleaned it up a little bit, tattoos and then materialism. All right. Barren. It's not a bunch of trees. It's not a forest. This is not a forest. This, this whirlwind that came from the wilderness, it's not a forest. It, it, biblical wilderness is barren. And let me tell you something about wind in a barren land. Uh, when wind whips through these forsaken, barren places, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger as it goes along. That's the nature of wind. That's the nature of desolation. You let a windstorm or a tornado start somewhere in a cornfield in in Indiana, and as it sweeps across that field, it picks up steam and picks up steam and picks up steam. I lived for 13 years in West Virginia. Uh, It's a mountainous area. We lived in a valley. Never had a tornado. Never. Never had a windstorm. Too many hills. Too many uh, barriers. The wind couldn't pick up enough steam to get strong. But teenager, this wind that comes from the wilderness, this whirlwind that comes from a forsaken place, generation after generation after generation, it has grown stronger and stronger and stronger. That's why we're dealing with things today that Pastor Wilkerson never would have thought we would be dealing with. I'm going to tell you why. Because this wind has, has been met with very few. I love weather. So when you say there's never been tornadoes in West Virginia, just type in tornadoes, West Virginia, and you'll see that there was a tornado outbreak of tornadoes in West Virginia, uh, April the 27th and the 28th. I believe that was 2002. Uh, see here. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. I think, uh, I think that I think it was a tornado outbreak that hit no, a number of states uh, April 28th, I think, is when the torna- tornadoes hit West Virginia. There was also an outbreak, I believe, in 89. I believe there was one in 80. And then you go way back in time. So um, there are tornadoes in West Virginia, but okay. All right. I, you know, don't want to 
don't want to mess up everything. It's just as soon as he said that, I was like, wait a minute. I know I've watched storm chasers uh, talk about storms there, but okay. All right. Not saying that they're normally there, but okay. But I'm just saying, you know, if you're going to build your whole illustration and there's never wind storms in West Virginia, never wind storms. That, that's an interesting, I don't know. I don't know enough about wind storms, but I definitely know enough about tornadoes because I've always been fascinated about tornadoes. Love storm chasing. Uh, I love that going out. I, I did my, I got my little card for storm chasing and uh, weather watching thing here in West Texas, Skywatch. Um, so yeah, I love that kind of stuff, but all right. I mean, I know it doesn't really matter because I mean, I mean, he's already destroyed the book of Job and turned this wind into something metaphorical. So who cares? Maybe West Virginia is metaphorical and allegorical as well. And in the allegorical West Virginia, there's never been a tornado. Few obstacles, very few barriers. It has grown in all the transgender, all the all the craziness. And we say, man, where did this come from? This is the result of silent generations. This is the result of compromised pulpits. This is the result of scared teachers and teenagers. This- it's the result of. It's not. It's the result of human depravity. I'm a man. Okay. This is a wind that has come from the wilderness that has gained and gained and gained and gained. And all around us, all around us, it is collapsing houses, collapsing churches, collapsing homes. And what can we do? What can we do? Brother Brown, I hear you preach that message this afternoon, and I see all of these subtle ways that Satan has infiltrated, I mean, everything. Ads on on TV commercials, clothing brands with satanic messages. What can we do? Okay, now this could get interesting since basically everything is evil, everything is satanic, everything is, and everyone is demonically possessed. I want to know what we can do. I want to know what we can do. Now, clearly, he still hasn't dealt with human depravity or the problem inside of us. But I want to know, what can we do to stop the satanic wind? I want to know. I want to know. Here we go. Let's see if we get some some pointers. Is Brother Scott Lyons here? Where is he? I thought I saw him somewhere. Is he here? Raise your hand, Brother Scott. I thought, there he is, right back there. I was real excited about this message once upon a time. I'm excited about it right now. Now I was in the youth center telling Brother Scott about it. And somewhere along in our conversation... He looked at me and he said, oh yeah, and I said, it's true, isn't it? It gets, it gets, it gets fat, uh, stronger and stronger and stronger as it goes along, as it sweeps through. He said, oh yeah. And somewhere along the line, he mentioned a windbreak. And I was intrigued by that. I mean, we're talking about like on I-80, if you were to take I-80 to Iowa, you would see mile after mile after mile of cornfield, nothingness, barrenness. But you let a house pop up, you let a farm pop up, and you're going to see some trees around it. Those trees are planted on purpose. They are there. Teenager, hear me. They are there by design. They are there. It's not an accident that they're surrounding the house, protecting from the wind, protecting from the force of the whirlwind. Wind breaks is what they're called. Could they possibly want some shade? I don't know. Okay. They're, they're there to protect it from the wind. But when strong winds, the trees fall over and hit your house. Wouldn't it be better to keep the trees away from the house? I I don't know. Just whenever you see tornadoes or strong winds. I live here in West Texas. We don't usually have big trees. But if you're in a place where there's big trees, the trees get knocked over and they knock over the power lines and they they, they can crash into the roof of the house. I mean, I I don't know. I, I don't know. 
do they protect from the wind? Strong enough wind, the tree's coming down, the branches are coming down. But okay, I don't, I don't who knows anymore? I don't know anything anymore. And teenager, tonight, uh, we need a couple of things to happen. Uh, we need some wind breaks tonight in this generation. Two things, and I'm done. Two things, and I'm going to be done. Number one, you're thinking with me. You're thinking with me. Thinking about your parents and your pastor. Thinking about, who would say this, Brother Judah? In my life, in my life, God has planted a tree. I'm thinking of them right now. I can give you their name. I, I know who they are. I can see their face. There is a tree that stands against the wind from Satan. It is in my life. God's placed it in my life. He's placed him, her, mom, dad, Sunday school. It is. I'm thinking of a tree right now. Would you raise your hand if you're thinking of a tree? A real person, a real person. I'm thinking of one right now. You can put your hands down. Pastor would just... Just so that you know, man, he's... He does a lot of just calm down, just calm down. Okay. Um, I, I get excited too when I preach, but it's just like, okay, I'm just trying to process all of this because it's just so I'm just sitting here looking at the book. Like I got the book of Job open and I'm like, I don't even know why this was even opened, but okay. Um, just so that we know this, you can have all the wind breaks in your life. You can have all the trees in your life to plant around your house. Just realize the issue has been and always will be from inside of you. There's no tree break that you can just plant inside of you per se, other than the word of God, um, because inside of you is where the issue is. But all right, all right. Okay, so trees outside of you, uh, trees, people. So you need people, all right? So we got people. Let's see what else. I I guess he's going to come up with a number of wind breaks here. I don't know. Stand up, please, and stand right here. Please, would you stand here? Let me tell you something, my friends. This right here, this is a tree. This is a tree. We don't always understand the trees. We don't always agree with the trees. But the truth of the matter is, you and I know they are planted by God on purpose. And one of the things that needs to happen tonight is you need to say, I'm going to thank God for the trees in my life. I have no idea what was going on with Job's kids. I've not studied it enough, but I'll say this. In, in a father in Job, they had a tree. They had a man who prayed. If you go back to chapter, verse number five, I'll read it for you. It says, and it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about, listen to this, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, listen to this, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God. Yeah, so Job was the tree protecting his kids from the satanic wind that killed them. Sounds like his protection was garbage. I mean, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if he keeps trying to use Job. The kids died. The father's protection didn't work. Oh, oh, because God allowed it to happen. Ben, how are you working this into your story? Because if you're not careful, this is going to turn into, well, no protection can stop the winds from Satan when God says, go ahead and kill them. I mean, I, I, I don't know how you're going to make this work in your story, but okay, run to Job chapter one, verse five, run there. I don't know what that's going to prove because the kids die. The trees weren't enough.
in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. You may not understand every decision your mom and dad make. You may not agree why they won't let you have a phone or go to the friend's house. You may not get it right now. Or the preacher, why he preaches the way that he does. Why the standards have to be so high. Why the rule. You may not get it. You may not agree. You may not understand. But let me tell you something. If you've got a tree in your life, they're praying for you. They might be praying for you right now. You might have a mom and dad back home right now saying, man, it may be that my son or my daughter are sinning. It may be. And God, I hope they get something out of youth conference. I hope they get something substantial. And hey, you don't have to understand the tree, but you ought to thank God for the tree. So translation, follow all the rules. That's it. That's just as a good Christian, follow the rules. Just follow the rules. Like he, like he started his entire sermon with him demonstrating that he was breaking all the rules. Hey, you follow the rules while he was driving 100 miles an hour texting without a seatbelt on and, and joked about breaking all the laws. Now, maybe he's going to return back to that story to say, see, don't be like me, but he's sure in the world now he's telling you to follow all the rules. Follow all the rules. Okay. Teenager, I'm tired. I'm tired of watching young people say, I don't need this. And they step away. And they step away and they get sucked up in a satanic whirlwind. And a few months, days, years later, the house is collapsed. You ought to thank God for the trees in your life. I'm talking about mom and dad. It's just hilarious because he's using Job 119 right, to try to preach a sermon, and now he just inst- he has introduced trees into a text where there aren't any trees, but he's supposedly he's preaching Job 119. I, I, this, I don't even know what this is called. Like in all the books and classes and, and uh, things I've learned about preaching and in public speaking, I don't even know what this is. Job 119 is the text. He's turned it into an allegory, and then he's adding to the allegory that we need trees to keep the wind from knocking over the house, and he goes to Job 1.5, saying Job was the tree and his kids' lives, but they die in verse 19. I, 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 don't, I, 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 I don't even know how to follow this. We need a diagram. We need a chart. I don't got time to get into it, but if you come from a Christian home, I could take you to our teen church, Brother Ricky. You could do even more. You could take you to all kinds of young people. They would do anything, teenager. They would do anything to have a mom and dad that took, took them to church, that had devotions with them, that dragged them to church on a Wednesday night. I was that way. My mom and dad didn't go to church. I love them. They're good. They did the best that they could, but there was no Bible. There was no God in the home. Man, as soon as I started figuring things out, man, I would have given anything for my mom to go to church. I would have given anything. I'd still give anything for my dad to walk into a service and you have that you've been born with that you've been raised in that and instead of getting behind the tree and thanking God for the tree we whine we complain we criticize I'm going to tell you right now, man, we might have revival if God's teenagers got a big dose of gratitude in their hearts. I mean, why does it take us seven messages, eight messages to realize how good God has been? And the goodness of God is in the trees that he's put in your life. You ought to get behind them and thank God for them. If you're sitting here right now saying, oh, man, worship, man, you're, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. The first thing that needs to happen is we need to be grateful 
for the trees. Thank you, Pastor. You can be seated. Second thing that needs to happen. I'm almost done. Second thing that needs to happen, and this is so simple, isn't it? We need more trees. Teenager. I'm baffled how... where. This has nothing to do with the Bible. Like he, he's using Job one nineteen to say we need more trees. Job was the tree and they died. So well, <laughs> this would prove that trees are useless. We need more trees. I'm talking about young people that are planted on purpose. Young people who understand the force of satanic attack. Yeah, maybe you have to grow up a little bit, mature a little bit, but I think you can comprehend this in 6th grade and 7th grade and 8th grade, the fact that Satan is after your life, and you're going to have to stand at some point. Right. Amen. We need more. Hey, 6th and 7th and 8th grader, okay? Uh, make sure you understand that he's preaching this from the book of Job, which means God is after your life because God is using Satan to go to really is to go after Job. God is the one setting the whole thing up. I mean, like, how how can he use this and just ignore the... God is the one who instigates. God is the one who set it up. God is the one who orchestrated it in the book of Job. Satan is simply a tool of God. God uses Satan for these things to happen to Job. Why? Why, if you're going to deal with Job, deal with these big theological questions that arises from the text. <sighs> or trees. Hey, we need trees of purity. Amen. I'm not just talking the talk. Amen. I'm saying that in this generation, with all the godlessness and all the nastiness that we can put on a screen... This immoral generation, teenager, we need trees of purity. We need, we need young people in 6th grade, 7th grade, 8th grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade that will say, I'm not just going to get swept up in this culture. I'm not just going to drift away and step out from, I, and I'm not just going to be thankful for the tree. I'm going to be a tree. I'm going to be a tree. Man, I tell a story all the time about taking a stand in the public school. Be a tree and watch the people you're trying to protect die. <laughs> That's what, how, why would you use Job for this story? You identified Job as the tree to protect his children and his children died. So why would you tell the young people, be a tree to protect people and then the way it's going to end, they're going to die. <laughs> I, I, why would you use Job for this text? I, I, I don't, oh man, okay, all right. Bring in a Bible. It's a stirring story. People get emotional. I get emotional telling it. You know, the next year after that story, I went to the Christian school. I went from a high school of, I don't know, I mean, at least a thousand students, and I'd say certainly more than that. And I went to the Christian school, little one-room Christian school. We opened the day with, with a pledge to the Bible, pledge to America, we opened the day with prayer. We opened the day with singing songs out of a hymnal. Like 25 minutes into the school day, I thought I was at camp. I thought I had died and gone to heaven. Like, this is the best thing in the whole wide world. And then we had our first break. They didn't have a lot of hallways. They didn't have a lot of places to go. In that Christian school, the break was, you know, you walk down the one hallway in the church and go to the bathroom whether you need to go or not. I mean, that was the break. 
And I went to the restroom. There wasn't hundreds of guys, just three or four. Hey, but they were just as dirty. They were talking just as filthy. Same exact innuendos, guys. Same exact innuendos that I... Are you telling me that Christians act just like people in the world? This is... This is breaking news. You know why? It's not because of trees or the lack of trees or because of the internet or because of Celine Dion. (laughs) This just makes me laugh that that's mentioned in a sermon in 2022. (laughs) Celine Dion in a sermon in 2022 to young people. That cracks me up. Okay, that's, that's hilarious. Okay, Selena Gomez. What is going on? Okay, it's not because of those things. It's, just, it's, just, it's hard to even say it with a straight. Every time I get ready to say her name, Celine D, I can't even say her name because it's 2022. All right. But all right, I digress. But it's not those things. It's because they have the same sinful nature as the kids in the world. It's shocking. It, it's so complicated. Heard in the public school, and can I say it was just as difficult in that bathroom to say, Hey, man, I don't want to listen to that. You guys are wrong. That's not the way a Christian should talk. It was just as difficult there, my first year of Christian school, as it was my last year of public school, carrying a Bible, getting ridiculed. And all I'm saying is this I'm glad I did it that first day of Christian school because there needed to be a tree in that Christian school that said, This is not, this is not the way that we talk. This is not the things that we laugh at. Come on. You listening to me? Hey, what do you, you, you agree with the stuff that was on the screen? Or are you willing to say, I'll be a tree of purity? Tree of purity. A tree, man, on purpose. And the impurity is, comes from inside of you. Or you can just try to give yourself 900 rules and see if you can convince everyone you're following them. But okay. We need some trees of purity. We need some trees of soul winning. It has been hit. It has been hammered. But I think God's trying to massage our hearts in this area. We need some young people that will be soul winners. Not just talk about winning souls. Not just casually show up and never really win anybody to Christ. I'm talking about some trees. Man, I heard that story. Dr. Tom Williams heard that story. Witness into the people in the airplane. And I thought to myself, there's an 88-year-old man who has been a tree for generations. Of course he's going to witness the people on the plane. Of course he's going to spend hours and... He's a tree. When was the last time you won somebody to Christ? Do you know this? I want you to think about this. Do you know that people are out there everywhere waiting to be saved? Jesus put it this way. If you only knew, if you only knew, young people, if you only knew the amount of people that need the Lord, that want the Lord, Every now and again. They want the Lord. They want the Lord. No one seeketh after God. No, not one. They do not understand. They do not seek. But there are people out there who want God. Okay. This just may prove this, that full-blown Pelagianism has, has forget semi-Pelagianism. It's semi-Pelagianism has been re, 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 replaced by full-blown Pelagianism. Yeah, 
and God throws a story uh, in a preacher's path to just remind him. I'll give it to you briefly. That same meeting in Iowa, I was delayed. And I don't have time to develop the whole story, but I was delayed. I was trying to get to Washington, Iowa to preach to 700 teenagers or so. And full house there, I was going to preach that night. And I was trying to get there. I was going from Houston, Texas to, to Iowa. Uh, I forget the name of the town, but whatever. Where was it? Des Moines, Iowa. Trying to get to Des Moines, Iowa. Two flights canceled. Four flights delayed. And it was terrible. My son was waiting for me in a hotel. I didn't know where he was. I didn't know where he was. Joe Woosley had taken our junior high group, and I'm texting Joe like, hey, man, I'm delayed. I'm sorry. I'm not going to make it tonight. I'm, I mean, we're going back and forth. I'm freaking out. I am so furious at the state of Texas. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've heard everything is bigger and better in Texas, but their air service is terrible. I'm sorry. I'm so furious with the city of Houston. United Airlines had canceled two flights, delayed four. And the fourth delay, they said this. They said, they said, they said, we have the plane, everything's ready, the weather's good, but we have to delay the flight another hour. There's no pilot, no crew. And everybody in there went, ugh, after four delays, two cancellations. And I said to myself, man, that's it. That's it. I am mad. I went to the lady at the desk, had a smile on my face. I said, ma'am, I'm very upset. Who can I talk to to complain? She said, thank you for not complaining to me. Customer service is right down that way. And I took off, man, like a tree. I mean, I'm walking, and I am upset. I get in the customer service line. There is a man behind me, sharp, young, intelligent guy. I looked at him. He looked at me. I looked at him. Our eyes connected, and we had that shared suffering bond, like people who had been in the military together, who had endured war. We had endured the Houston airport. And I just looked at him, gave him the, he was like, uh-huh. And I was like, I don't know. I said, I said Chicago. He said, uh-huh. I said, I don't know about you, man, but I'm going to get something for free. I'm going to get something for free. I said, I'm going to complain to these people. I said, I want a free plane ticket. I want a free hotel. I want some free food. I want some free water. I mean, that's what I said. I said, I'm getting something for free. He said, absolutely, I am too. And this guy was, this guy was articulate, man. He could really, he said, I'm going to get something for free too. He said, I know how this works. I know the ins and outs. And I, you complain and you start high and then you work. He said, I might even get a, 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 a voucher for money. I might, I said, good, man. And, and all through customer service. We were complaining to each other. I was losing my Christianity. Pastor, I did not say anything that would be a fireable offense, but, <laughs> but I'm glad the conversation wasn't recorded. <laughs> see, now, we're, I, I, I didn't say anything that's a fireable offense. See, see, which goes back to as long as you think it, feel it, and don't say it, you're good to go. See, as long as you don't say it, you're good to go. If it's in your heart, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Well, because you get fired for what you say. You don't get fired if you have all the wrong thoughts and desires. Because guess why all those, those things are inside of him? Okay. I, the whole thing is just, I, I don't even know what the point of his sermon anymore. I don't even know what the point of his sermon is. I don't even know why he used the book of Job. I don't even know what's going on anymore. Now, now this is reaching. Now I'm just, I'm frustrated. Now I want to stand in line and go, why? Why did I even do this? But okay, let, let's, 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 let's try to bring this to a conclusion. <laughs> just, just a critical spirit, mean-spirited, upset, just critical, tearing down, you know, 
United Airlines and their employees. And I mean, <laughs> anyways, but uh, we're working our way through the line. And I was supposed to be in Iowa to preach. I was supposed to go to Iowa to preach to all these teenagers. And I'm working my way through the line. And I look at this guy and I said, yeah, I said, Chicago delayed four times. I said, I'm not even supposed to go to Chicago. I'm supposed to be in Iowa. He said, what? I said, oh yeah, yeah. These real competent people here at United Airlines, they canceled my flight to Iowa, not once, but twice, send me to Chicago. Now they delay it four times. I said, I'm not even supposed to be, I'm supposed to be in Iowa working our way through the line. He says, Iowa. He said, what are you supposed to do in Iowa? I'm supposed to preach to 700 teenagers. And I said, uh, preach. <laughs> I went. All of my unbelievable argumentative skills amounted to zero, not even free water. <laughs> they gave me nothing. I'm walking out the walk of shame back down to C42 or whatever it is in Houston. And this guy that I would, was uh, criticizing with, he was behind me, so I kind of slowed down. We got next to each other. I said, did you get anything? He said, no. <laughs> I said, man, these people are incompetent and cheap. <laughs> and uh, I said, I'm sorry, man. I said, what's your name? Hadn't even gotten his name. I said, what's your name? I- I'm still trying to figure how this even fits into anything in, this, in, the, in the sermon. I, I, like we had the cow story. Now we have this story. Uh, we've destroyed the book of Job. We've got trees that results in kids dying. I, 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 I don't really know what's going on anymore. He looked at me and said, my name's Abdel. I said, huh? He said, my, now maybe if your name is Eddie or Joe or... If he says his name's Abdel, you're like, huh? Like, like what, like that's, I, I don't, what, what's so shocking about that? I don't think I've ever looked at someone's name and go, oh, what? I, I really don't care. Okay. All right. All right. Story is getting more interesting by the second, I guess. Adam, <laughs> you might be used to hearing your name all the time. My name is Abdel. I don't hear that a whole lot. All right. I said, Abdel. He said, yes. I said, my name's Abdel. He said, huh? <laughs> he looked at me. Oh, okay. That's, that's the thing. That's the thing. Okay. I, I, I didn't understand. I didn't understand what the significance of, okay, now it makes sense. Okay. Now it makes sense. They both have the same name. Okay. So you don't look like an Abdel. I said, I know, and, uh, but <laughs> I said, but it's true. Look, I pull out my wallet. I did. I pull up my wallet and I show him my ID, my name, Abdel Kareem, Aisa Judah. He's like, man, you're really an Abdel. I said, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm all in man with the Abdel. And it was just neat, honestly. It was just neat to meet him. It was just neat to... He looked at me and he said, he said, Hey, Abdel, I'm curious. What would you say preaching to those people in Iowa? What were you going to say? And I don't know if it was the, the, the tense moment. I don't know if it was the frustration of the day. I don't know what it was, but I broke, man. I started to cry. I said, let me tell you something. Here's what I would say. I, I would have said, said to them the same thing I would say to you, Abdel. I would have said to them that there's a God that is real, that Jesus Christ is the son of God, that he loves them, that he died for them, that he wants to receive them and save them. That's what I would have said to them. That's what I'm saying to you now. Do you- he wants to save them, but he can't save them. 
Okay. He wants to so bad, but he can't. He can't. Like he didn't want Job's kids to die. He he didn't want that to happen. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. So we, we reduce God to, he wants to, he just can't make it happen. You want to hear more about that? And he looked at me and he didn't bring up the Quran. He didn't bring up a mosque. He didn't bring up anything. He looked at me. He said, yes. I said, great. I had my bag right there, pulled out my Bible, showed him the gospel, gave him the Romans road, said, do you understand this? He said, yes. I said, do you believe this? He said, I've never believed it before, but I'm starting to believe it right now. I said, do you want to call on Christ right now to ask him to save you? He said, yes, I do. And Abdel got saved right there, right there, got saved. It's just funny because uh, I've heard these stories about, I, mean, I don't know, I've heard the stories a million times, so, a million, I mean, if I, if I take all the stories of how many people have been saved in airplanes and airports by preachers, uh, then I think the whole world has been saved about a hundred times over, but okay, all right, all right, that, that's, that, if it happened, praise God, good, great, awesome, still don't know what this has to do with the book of Job at all. Don't know what this has to do with the sermon. I don't know what this has to do with anything other than I guess he's saying that he's the tree. He's a tree because in an airport, he witnessed to someone. I guess that's what he's trying to say. We walk back to the, to the gate and we're waiting for hours. Abdel comes up to me. He, he's got a big old thing of pizza. He says, hey, man, we're going to be here for a while. He said, you want a piece of pizza? I said, no, Abdel. I was just enjoying, you know, Abdel, Abdel. I was like, who's on first, you know, making a youth conference. Good. Hello, Abdel. Hello, Abdel. How are you, Abdel? Very good, Abdel. I said, Abdel, I'm not hungry, man. I don't want to eat this late at night, trying to lose some weight. Yeah, right. But, but, he said, okay, okay. He walked away. Came back a few minutes later, had some water. He said, hey, I know we couldn't get any free water. Do you want some water? I said, actually, I've already got some. And I, said, I said, but thank you anyways. And he said, he said, okay. Came back a few minutes later with one of those travel neck pillows. He said, hey, we're going to be here a long time. He said, you want my, I bought a neck pillow. He said, you want a neck pillow? I said, actually, Abdel, the neck pillows hurt my neck. I said, they don't really help me. He said, he said, oh, okay, okay. He said, I can go get another one. I said, no. I said, I'll. we finally get on the plane. I take my seat way in the back, way in the back, scrunched up, you know. <laughs> Thank you, United Airlines, way in the back. See a man stand up in the front, walks down. His, he comes into view. It's Abdel. He looks at me and he says, hey, he says, I'm sitting in first class. He said, you want to trade seats? I didn't want his pizza, water, or neck pillow. But every man has his price. I stood up. I said, absolutely, Abdel, I'll take that. <laughs> Before I got the first class, he shook my hand, and this is what he said. You've given me so much tonight. I wanted to give you something. Hey, I'm just talking about being a tree, just just trying to give the gospel out. All right, so he's trying to present himself as the example of what a tree should be. Because the tree, like Job doesn't prevent children from dying when the wind comes. But somehow this is relevant to the, I don't understand. I'm not perfect in this area. Nobody in this room is. But how about trying to win somebody every day? How about just everywhere you go, having some tracks? How about, you say, people, I'm young, Brother Judah. I'm not a preacher. I'm not asking you to be a preacher tonight. I'm asking you to be a tree of purity, to be a tree of soul winning. 
a tree of having a surrendered heart. I need to hurry and I'll be done in 13 minutes. But watch this, having a surrendered heart. Teenager, a tree. Everybody knows where a tree is. And we need some young people that are so surrendered to God, everybody knows it. So a, a, a tree a tree was Joe, but a tree represents soul winning, uh, a sold out heart or a surrendered heart and uh, purity. I, I, I don't know how trees became those things. I, I don't even know. I'm, I'm not even following this anymore, but okay, we, we we're almost done. They don't have to be talked into it every other youth conference or camp. If the preacher's funny enough, if the message is compelling enough, if the service, if the song is good enough and everything blends just right, then maybe, 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 maybe I'll take another trip to the altar and maybe, maybe, maybe I'll tell God I'll do whatever you want me to do except this, this, and this in my heart. Hey, no, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about young people that are planted that where you know and everyone around you knows, hey, whatever God wants, that's what I'm going to do. I am surrendered. Whatever, I'm a tree. A tree of surrender. It's the joke around our church. Pastor Wilkerson, I don't know if he knows the joke, but I'm going to let him in on a joke. It's a joke around our church. At any moment, at any moment, we could all wake up. There'll be a note on the front door of the church. God's called me to the mission field. See you later. And he'll be gone. It's a nightmare, but it's true. You want to know why? Hey, watch this. Because this man has surrendered to God. Everybody knows it. I know he's not perfect, but he's surrendered. I want to be surrendered to God. I can remember coming home from church on Sunday night, walking through our little. I, I guess this is a sermon about him, about people. I, I, I don't even know anymore. I, I, I am so confused. I, but all the trees are supposed to protect the people. Uh, but the story in Job, the Job was the tree. The children died, so it didn't protect any. I, I, none of this makes absolutely any sense. I'm, I'm trying to be patient. I think I may just let this play itself out because at this point, I don't know. I can't. I'm, all I can just keep saying is the same thing over and over and over and over. As just, just as the whole like whatever the structure was is completely disintegrated. The text has been abandoned. The text has been flipped. I, I don't even know what has happened anymore other than it's about him. I mean, he went, he started about, he started the sermon about him. He's now ending the sermon about him. Now he's throwing in someone else, but it's about people. All right, let's continue. Ghetto area and through our house that was filled with, I mean, my, listen, it was, they loved me, but it wasn't a Christian home. Cigarette smoke and alcohol and bad music through the house. And, man, I'd been in church all Sunday night, and I'd get to the roof of the house on a summer night, and I'd look up in the sky there on 127th and Western, and I would pray to God, and I would say, God, I know that you're up there, but if I were you, I wouldn't want to look down here. There were all kinds of wickedness going on in that town, drug deals, all kinds of stuff. God, if I were you, I wouldn't want to look down here. If I were you, I wouldn't want to listen to what's going on down here. But as a teenager, as a teenager, not as a married man, not as a Bible college, student, not as a preacher. I'm talking about uh, as a 14, 15 year old young man, I would look in the sky and say, but God, if you are listening and if you him, 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 I, 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 it's me, me, me. I did. I, I, I knew this was wrong. I knew the cigarettes were wrong. I knew the alcohol was wrong. I knew the music was wrong. I knew this was sinful. I knew this as a teenager, 14, 15. Wow. I mean, it's a lot about him. I mean, it's a lot about him. 
are looking, would you please use me someday, God? Use me someday. I was preaching with you in Arizona, and we spent some time in the hotel afterwards, and we had a long conversation, and Brother Brown asked me, he said, Abdel, he said, it seems, you know, sometimes when you preach, it seems like God isn't on it, and he's anointed it, and what is it, Abdel? How does that seem to happen? And I looked at him, and I just said, Joe, I said, it's all I've ever wanted. It's all I've ever wanted is to be used of God. All I've ever wanted. I'm not here to get money tonight, fame tonight, followers tonight. I'm not interested in any of it. We're the whole realm of nature mine. That were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine. Demands my life, my soul, and my all. And we need some young people that will get that mentality that says, I am surrendered to God. And everybody's going to know it. I'm a tree. We need some trees. Be surrendered to God and let everyone know you are. Okay, make sure you tell everyone how surrendered you are. Joe, would you come up here? I'll close with this illustration. I don't even know where I'm at in the sermon. Doesn't matter. We'll close with this. Nobody knows where you are in the sermon. Okay, nobody does. Okay, because I don't even know. Because it's, if this is a sermon, then it clearly is not the preaching of God's word. Man, this is Joe. And I love this guy. I think he's going to pass out what I think is going to happen. Okay, but all right, here we go. I love this guy. I came to the church however many years ago it was. Joe was a sophomore in high school. He's a sophomore in high school. I was trying to drum up people to go to camp. I felt like nobody wanted to go to camp. You remember that? Nobody wanted. The best thing could happen is don't go to camp. Best thing all young people can do. Don't go to church camp. Don't go to youth conferences. Stay away from both. All right? Because they're, they're emotional manipulation. They isolate, indoctrinate, manipulate. Stay away from... I know when I say that, people lose my mind. All right? But yeah, um, that, that's, that's my feelings. I, I, don't, I don't hold to any of that stuff. It's just insanity is what it is. But okay. I wanted to go to camp. And I, no matter how much I hyped it, man, it's going to be awesome. You know, I'm trying to talk our kids into going to camp and nobody wanted to go. I caught Joe in the front door of our high school right outside there. I said, Joe, you going to camp? What'd you say? Nope. <laughs> That's what he said. And I looked at him like, man. And I said, why not? And he had some reason I have to work. I have to do, I don't know what all his reasons were. And I don't know why I did this. But I looked at Joe and I said, Joe, let me tell you something. I mean, this is like right outside of our high school, middle of the day. I said, Joe, let me tell you something. Things around here are going to change. <laughs> he looked at me. He's like, huh? I, I said, man, I said, soon everybody's going to want to go to camp. I said, you're going to miss out. I said, soon uh, people are going to be signing up. We're going to have to take multiple vehicles. I said, everybody's going to want to go. We're going to have unbelievable camp services. I said, Joe, didn't I say it? I said, Joe, we're going to have sir, hour and a half long invitations, two hour invitations. We're going to see people crying at the altar. We're going to see them weeping. We're going to see them surrendering their lives to God. Because none of that can happen unless you're at church camp. (laughs) God can't move unless you're at church camp. Can't just be at your local church. Hearing sermons, got to go to church camp. Got to go to church camp. Or you'll be isolated, indoctrinated, and manipulated.
I'm just preaching up a storm to Joe right in front of the high school. I don't know what was going on in his head, but he's looking at me, and with each sentence, he's like, he didn't go to camp that year. Didn't go. Why didn't you go to camp that year, Joe? No, he didn't go. I don't think he went the next year, now that I think about it. He went his senior year, but it's not about going to camp. Teenager, watch this. Somewhere along the line, I don't know exactly when the switch flipped. I don't know. I, I don't know when exactly it happened. I don't know what exactly came together. But somewhere along the line, Joe went from being the teenager that I was t- trying to talk into going to camp. Joe went from being that kid to being right here. Hey, watch this, to being a tree. I'm talking about standing with me. And I appreciate it because he's a young man. How old are you, Joe? 22. He's 22 years old. But let me ask you a question, Joe. Are you fully surrendered to God? Yes, sir. You want to be pure? Yes. You want to live for Jesus? Yes, sir. Do you love the Lord? Yes, sir. You willing to do anything? Yes, sir. And by the way, anybody that knows Joe knows. Oh, man. See, it's not that Christ is pure. It's not that Christ is the tree. It's not that Christ fully said, not my will, but your will to the Father. No, 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 no. It's about now this person being claimed to be all of these things when we all know inside he is a sinner, he's depraved, and he is going to fall short. This is about, this is elevating people, not elevating Christ. This is about people. That it's true somewhere along the line as a 22-year-old man, and it happened before that, probably happened in his teenage years. He said, you know what? Maybe that youth pastor isn't crazy. Maybe the church isn't crazy. Maybe I ought to step up and join in and be a tree and be a tree and just stand there with him and, and believe the Bible. John, would you come up here? John is his brother. I wasn't even John's youth pastor. He, he owes me nothing. He's a good man. He's married. Well, uh, far better than he deserves. And he's, I mean, just look at him. No, but I mean, I don't know when it happened. I don't know when it happened. I'm sure when I first came, you know what? It's funny. When I first came to Hammond Baptist and I preached a sermon, I was preaching just like this. I had somebody look at me, one of our students, and I love them now, and they love me now. Saw them not that long ago. But one of the students looked at me. They were seniors at that time. They said, and they said, they were talking to their friends. They didn't know that I could hear them. They said, who, who is this? Where did he come from? Why is he preaching like this? Does he think this is youth conference? I don't know what you thought when I first came. But it wasn't long, teenager. It wasn't long. So the entire sermon is pointing to people. This is just so bizarre. To watch this. A tree. I was doing, a friend of mine sent me a little article. Listen to this and don't don't miss this because we're closing the sermon with this. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to be blunt, and I'm going to be rude. Do not present yourself as a tree to keep or help people, and don't look to other people to be a tree. Look to Christ, your rock, your refuge. Look to him. Don't look to people because they're sinners, and they will fail, and they will fall, and they will let you down. Stop pointing people to people. Stop trying to be the person for them. Don't, I don't want anyone looking to me. I want them to look to Christ. Don't look to me. Don't look to other people. They will fail you. They will let you down. That is a fact. 
You would think that the mighty sequoias need roots that are planted. They're, they're 350 feet high. You would think that they would need deep roots, but they do not. You study the sequoias, the redwood forest, their roots are not deep. They are, they are, they're spread out. Matter of fact, they're entangled. One root entangles with another one. And while they're shallow roots, they're strong because there's multiple roots entwined, entangled together. And somewhere along the line in Joe's life and in John's life, all the things we could talk about, man, I could talk sports with these guys all the time. I could talk, you know, NBA, NFL all day long with these guys. But we always find ourselves. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The entire youth conference has been, hey, it's got to glorify God. It's got to glorify God. And, and that we get, we get distracted. And all, you young people know all of this stuff, stuff about Elon Musk. And you know this stuff. But now he just said you could talk all day about the NBA and the NFL and sports, meaning you know about the teams and the players and the stats. So, so wait, so that means you watch the NFL, the NBA, you watch all of this stuff. Wait, I thought all of this stuff in the world was evil and it was ungodly and it was demon possessed. And now you just acknowledge that you spend your time watching lots of sports because if you can talk all day about it, you got to watch a lot of it. You got to keep up with a lot of it. So I don't understand. It went from. What, 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 I, I am so baffled that uh, supposedly everything in the world is evil, but all of a sudden the NBA, the NFL, those are all godly, controlled by godly men who do godly things. What in the world? What are you talking about? He just now contradicted everything the conference has been built on. Talking about the Bible, talking about a sermon, talking about a verse. Man, I appreciate it. Hey, these are just some guys that are trees. John, do you love God Absolutely. with everything that you have? Yes, sir. You want to stay pure? Yes, sir. You willing to do anything? I need some trees. See, and now you're just forced to say, I'm, what is he going to say? No, I don't really love God the way I'm supposed to. No, he can't say that. He's got to say I'm pure. Is he really pure? Do we know what's going on in his life or his heart? Like you just set these people up for absolute failure. Like I don't understand what is happening in this sermon. Trees, teenager. Some trees. Jeff, Adam, Dave, Mark, come on, guys, get up here. I chose some guys. Watch this. This is not an illustration. Are you looking at me? This is not an illustration. Join up, guys. Get in there. None of us are perfect. I mean, we are not at all. Listen, we are not at all everything that we need to be. But you know in the blue, you know, man, these guys aren't perfect, but they do love the Lord. They are committed to God. I mean, they are serious about serving God. They are the first ones at the altar. They're not perfect at all. And I hesitate to bring them up here, but I I believe that in sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, in high school, God's given us some trees, man. Trees of soul winning, trees of pure. No, God has given us his son, Jesus Christ, who is pure, who is holy, who is right. And in him, his passive and active obedience is imputed to my account. That understand that Satan has a target on us, but we're willing to stand. Now, let me ask you a question, teenager. Where are the trees in your youth group? Where are the trees in the orange section? Young people, don't look for the trees in your youth group. Don't look for the trees. Look to Christ who hung on a tree for you. In the purple section, in the blue section, who will come join us and say, yes, Brother Judah, they will be a tree for God. We'll be a tree. We will stand. We understand that Satan is. 
So what he's going to do, he's going to put all the kids in a position where if you don't come forward, then you're telling everyone you don't want to be a tree. So you've got to come forward. So this is complete psychological manipulation. If you sit there in this section, in this section, in this section, who's going to come forward with us and say that they're going to be a tree? So the kids are going to have to come forward or they're going to end up looking really stupid sitting there going, I don't want to be a tree. Like what? Oh, man, youth ministry is satanic, evil garbage where young people are twisted and manipulated by adults who should know better. It's real. We're not playing games. We're going to join in with our parents and our pastor and our youth pa- and our friends. And we're going to stand against the wind from the wilderness. Where are you? Some trees. Hey, if we don't, you guys stay here. If we don't have some trees, let me tell you what's going to happen to your youth group. It'll be swept away. Yeah, now go back to Job. Job was the tree. What happened? The house fell down and the kids died. So now you're going to flip the story and say that if you have trees, the youth group won't fall? Like, like, why did you preach this from Job when the story doesn't even follow what you're claiming? We don't have some trees. Let me tell you what will happen to your family, friend. It'll be swept away. Those wind breaks. We may not always understand. We may not always had a young man come to me today or the other day, and, and he's sincere, and God was doing a work in his heart. He said, brother, that's what he said to me. That's just what he said. He said, brother Judah, I don't think uh, HB needs another athlete. I'm struggling with even to play sports. He said, I don't know. I don't know what God is doing, but maybe I should give up sports, and maybe I should just go soul winning all the time. A young man came to me and said that. I don't know if that's what he should do or not, and it really doesn't matter. I like the fact that he's a tree. A tree. And we need some of that in this generation. No, we don't need trees. We need Christ. There's no question. Hey, entwined. Entwined. Talking about not just in the church service, out of the church service. On the phone, wherever. Trees of standards, purity, separation, soul winning, surrendered. Rules, 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 rules. Hearts. Teenager, there's a great whirlwind targeting the four posts of the house. It's all around us. It will collapse the house. It will collapse the house. If there aren't some trees to be windbreaks, would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes? Where are you at tonight? Is there a young person tonight that'll say, Brother Judah, I want to stand as a tree in this generation? And this entire youth conference, the gospel was never even hinted at. Christ was never even pointed to in any meaningful way. I fully understand. I fully understand, Brother Judah, that Satan is real and he is targeting us. I fully understand the music of our day. We need some trees of surrender. It's always got to go back to music. It's always got to go back to music. We need some trees. Are you listening to me? Some trees, some teenagers, 
that'll say, I'm not playing games, man. Hey, Satan's not playing games. We need some young people that'll say, Youth Conference 2022, here it is. I'm going to surrender. Everybody's going to know it. Hey, everybody's going to know it. There's a wind from the wilderness, man. And it is designed to collapse the house. And I don't know what God is doing tonight, but maybe he's calling some young men to preach the gospel and you're surrendering tonight. Maybe he's called. I don't know what he's doing. Here's what I know. We need some trees. I know what we need. We need someone who can actually preach a text of scripture in an absolute, in somewhat of a meaningful way that stays true to the text because that was in a total obliteration of Job chapter one. That was an abomination that was horrifying, that was wrong. And that concludes this series on teaching youth in 2022 and a review of sermons preached at a youth conference in the summer of 2022 in the state of Indiana. That was, I don't, I don't, look, we're an hour 51 minutes just into this episode. I'm going to stop. I, I don't need to say anything else. Go back and listen to the entire series. Love to get your thoughts on everything you've heard. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That is the very disappointing, discouraging, disheartening conclusion of a series that demonstrates what's being taught to young people in 2022 at a youth conference they claim is the most influential. That tells you how bad off the church is when it comes to teaching young people, at least in some elements of the church. Thanks for listening. God bless.